Talking Tendons 3, Achilles Hamstring and Gluteal Tendinopathy. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Let's keep this mini-series going with Talking Tendons 3. Uh, before I get started, I just want to say, like, the past couple of days have been really, really awesome for me. I've been engaging with a lot more Facebook groups, like these running injury Facebook groups, and helping out people with running conditions with advice, with uh, either podcast episodes or my blogs or just general advice to hand out. And I'm getting some really positive, encouraging feedback and people who have discovered my podcast and started listening to some episodes and felt the need to reach out and provide their feedback. It's been really encouraging and I actually feel really close with you and the rest of the audience when you do decide to reach out on Instagram or Facebook or in the Facebook group and say hi and say, these are the frustrations I'm going through. These are the injuries I have. This is what I've learned on the podcast. It's so, so cool. It makes me feel really appreciated. And I always had these expectations with this podcast and the people I want to help and the type of runners I want to educate and the feedback and the reaction I wanted runners to have when they started listening to the podcast. And those expectations I had are actually starting to play out. So it's really cool. So thank you. Thank you for engaging. Thank you for your feedback. And I just wanted to share my appreciation. So we're getting into the practical stuff today. We're talking about Achilles, hamstring and gluteal tendinopathy. I don't want to delve into the past episodes too much, but if you haven't, I don't understand why you'd go to Talking Tendons 3 and listen to that when there's already one and two published, but we've gone through um, the different terminologies. We talk about why someone might develop a tendinopathy, some certain risk factors and delving into how to rehab this tendon once it is flared up, depending on the level of severity and irritability, how to progress your way through that rehab plan, and then how to balance that integration of running with your strength and conditioning program but we still haven't really delved in it into any specifics and that's what today's episode is about. I thought I would choose these three because one, they're the most common for runners and for training errors and it seems to come up in Facebook groups and on Instagram and whenever I'm looking onto forums. These are the three that people are mainly having concerns about. So I have uh, some particular points I want to make for every condition that we talk about today. One being the generic cause of the tendinopathy and certain training errors. Uh, the second being what are some daily modifications uh, you can do to change or avoid compression or just tolerate a load better. 
The third being, what are some exercise progressions that we can do for this specific condition? Four is what are some running considerations we might want to look at when we start returning to running? And the fifth being some differential diagnosis if you're not responding to this rehab or you're feeling like the symptoms don't really fit a typical case of that tendinopathy. What are some um, alternative diagnoses that it could be? And I think those five points would just help summarize the condition really nicely. You can take away some really practical tips in all areas, not just running, outside of running and into the strengthening and conditioning phase. So let's start with Achilles. I want to start with this because there are two different types of Achilles tendinopathy and the management can be quite different. So first you have this mid-portion tendinopathy, which is usually one to two inches above its attachment point. And so your Achilles, most people know where your Achilles is, um, as it attaches onto the heel, that really bony prominence that sticks out that you can feel. It's usually an inch or two above that and it's right we call it mid portion because it's right into that bow like part of the tendon this is very commonly due to uh training errors and overload but then you have this other type of achilles tendinopathy which can be insertional so we call this as insertional tendinopathy and that's more on that bone so it's as the Achilles wraps around that bony prominence and attaches onto the bone, and that's more susceptible to that compression that we've been talking about the last couple of episodes. So differentiating the two, what are some generic causes and training errors? What I see often is an overall increase in load. We can get really basic with that and just say the mileage has increased, but more specifically, it can be due to speed. The faster you run, the more and more your Achilles will work and if you exceed that load capacity it's going to undergo a reaction more likely that mid portion part the other thing is hills definitely if you integrate a lot more hills and you combine that with speed that just shoots that load through the roof um, some other sneakier transitions might be uh, if you transition from a supportive running shoe to more of a minimalist shoe as you transition to something that's a bit lighter, a bit flimsier, less support, uh, that can increase the requirements of your foot, calf and ankle and leave you more prone. The other thing is someone who wants to transition from a heel strike to a forefoot strike. I had a client, uh, it was about a couple of months ago now, but he was getting uh, Achilles soreness and we were trying to work out if there were if there was any changes in his training, any changes in terrain, his volume, um, his sleep, all that sort of stuff, didn't really add up. And it wasn't until he told me, oh, and by the way, I heard that uh, running on your forefoot is a better technique. And that's what I've been trying. And so we finally worked it out. He was doing the same pace, same amount, but he was trying to go transition from a heel strike to a forefoot strike which does put a significant increase in load through your calf, through your Achilles, and through your foot. So still on this um, first category of the generic causes and training errors, uh, I found a nice study that looked at uh, risk factors, and they ranked these intrinsic risk factors for developing an Achilles tendinopathy. Um, number one, being a previous lower limb tendinopathy. Number two, being a recent injury of any tissue 
So these are the two highly ranked risk factors for developing Achilles tendinopathy. Moving down to number three was advancing age, four being gender, five being muscle power and strength, six being steroid exposure. And moving our way down from seven onwards, we have reduced ankle dorsiflexion, weight, antibiotic treatment, foot pronation, obesity, and foot alignment. So when we talked about biomechanics and how much that influences um, a, a tendinopathy, saying that it doesn't influence a lot, might be 5 to 10%. These intrinsic factors, as they're ranked, foot pronation is at number 10, and foot alignment is at number 12. So not really correlating a lot with injury. So then moving on to number two, what are some daily modifications and things we can change throughout the day to reduce load through the Achilles? I talked to Jill Cook years ago, who is the guru of tetanopathy, and she was saying that tendons don't really respond well to uh, a change in stretch throughout the day. And she used the example of an office worker, a female office worker who likes to wear high heels throughout the entire day where the Achilles is a bit short and the calf is shortened and then likes to transition out of those shoes into her flats and walk home or transition into her runners and go for a run after work. That change in stretch throughout the day. The Achilles doesn't really like that. Um, but if someone is undergoing a tendinopathy through the Achilles, say the insertional part, it's getting out of that dorsiflexion. So pointing those toes up and putting a stretch on the calf, that just applies more compression to that tendon. And so avoiding that direction of the foot can be something we can modify throughout the day. So if someone does have an Achilles insertional tendinopathy, uh, sometimes even just getting, instead of walking around in flat shoes, maybe just finding some gentle heel raises to get out of that compression throughout the day as you're walking around can be extremely effective. The other thing is avoiding just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Dares or trying to slow down your walking. If you're walking faster, it continues to put more compression, more stretch, more load through that Achilles. So really just slowing things down could be a nice modification that you can do. So let's go into uh, step three, which is exercises. So progressions, I use this example as we were talking on um, the second episode. And when you're loading isometrics, it can be on a step, having your toes on the front of the step and your heels hanging off. And depending on the how much the tendon can tolerate, we can either add weights, you can hold onto a dumbbell, you can put weights in a backpack and wear that. But the isometrics is just holding that position and then walking back off that step to rest, bringing those toes back onto that step to start the second set. We can progress really well with some eccentrics. So eccentrics could be um, starting up on your toes on both feet, and let's just say you have the tendinopathy on your right side. Once the, those toes, oh, once those heels are up in the air, lifting up that left leg, and then slowly raising just that right foot all the way down until the Achilles is under stretch 
go back onto two feet, back up onto the toes, and then lift up that left leg again and allow that right side just to eccentrically load through um, a lot of weight. Back onto two feet, come back onto your toes. And so it's that affected side, that right side that is um, being exposed to that eccentric load. And then we can transition into concentric, eccentric, which is just like doing calf raises on a step. We're going through that eccentric phase. We're going through that concentric phase. It should be noted that if it is an insertional tendinopathy and we want to avoid compression, uh, it's not advised that you do go below plantar grade. So if you're on a step, making sure you're in those higher ranges and not dropping that heel down so that Achilles is under a lot of stretch because that applies a lot of compression as it wraps around the bone and can lead to irritation. If it's a mid-portion Achilles, which is a lot more common, then uh, you shouldn't have an issue. If we want to progress to something that's a bit more plyometric, we can add in some tempo, some beats, where you're doing calf raises at 140, 150 beats per minute, and you'll have to start, get, well, you get to a point where the beats become so fast you have to start bouncing and creating a lot more recoil through the Achilles. It can be under load if you want. You can start just body weight. It will depend on how the tendon responds. But then if that's okay, we're then transitioning into hopping, skipping, jumping. doesn't need to get too complicated with that. And if we're talking about integrating, uh, going beyond that plyometrics and starting to integrate several other points of contact and other joints and other muscles, I guess the hopping does that also, but um, we're looking at strengthening the soleus. So doing calf raises with a bent knee rather than a straight knee. We're looking at strengthening the quads. We're looking at strengthening the glutes and really integrating that whole hopping kinetic chain. So there are some practical examples for some strengthening. Now the last point. Oh no, sorry. The fourth point, uh, running considerations. So if you run with a really low cadence, Increasing your cadence can help take some load off the Achilles. Also, if you're putting your foot into a large dorsiflexion range at mid-stance through your run, so when you contact the ground when you run and you bring your body weight up over the top of that foot, if that foot is in a lot of dorsiflexion, that can put the Achilles under unnecessary load, so you might need to change that a little bit. And there is a little bit of evidence around pronation, um, not necessarily the excessive pronation, but the speed at which your foot pronates in mid-stance. So when you contact the ground, that rolling in action is a perfectly normal action. The foot needs to pronate to absorb load and then um, act as a lever to push off. It doesn't mean you need orthotics, but sometimes the rate of pronation, so when you contact the ground, the speed at which it goes from contacting the ground into full pronation has said that it can lead to uh, increases of risk of tendinopathies. Not too sure where the science weighs up on that one, but might be worth considering um, adopting a bit more of a wider stance when you run instead of crossing the midline if you're one that crosses over and contributes to that excessive pronation. So if you have a really low cadence and if you have a crossover gait, that can be modified slightly to help reduce the risk of this. So the fifth point would be a differential diagnosis. And if you're not responding to these uh, strengthening exercises and you're following with your physio 
and following their advice and their gradual progressions and you're still not responding well, a rare yet um, missed diagnosis could be a plantaris tendinopathy and your plantaris can sometimes share the same sheath as your tendon and it's usually only on the inside of the Achilles that you would feel it rather than the whole entire tendon. Some other differential diagnosis I can think of would be, say, a bursitis. If it is suspected to be insertional tendinopathy, the bursa could get inflamed rather than the tendon itself. And also maybe compartment syndrome, if it's a little bit higher on the calf and you're starting to experience these sort of pains while loading and while running, it could be a compartment syndrome. So that's what I have for you there. Um, Just looking through all my dot points, I think I covered everything. Then we can move on to uh, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So some generic causes and training errors. Like I said in episode one, it's usually speed. Speed and downhill running. Every time, or the faster you run, the more and more your hamstrings need to really work hard eccentrically to slow down the momentum of your foot before you make contact with the ground. And it's that eccentric control which can uh, exceed your load capacity. And once you exceed that, that tendon can get a bit irritated. Daily modifications. Now, usually sitting is a big one for this type of tendinopathy. Your hamstring tendon attaches pretty much onto your sitting bone. It's that ischial tuberosity and it kind of wraps around that bone slightly before it attaches. So every time you sit on your sitting bones, particularly on like a hard surface, it's subject to a lot of compression. And if it's irritated and you're compressing it with sitting, uh, that can lead to further irritation, hard for that tendon to recover. And so some daily modifications. Yes, we can change the way you're sitting. We can try and change, distribute the weight, maybe sit on a pillow or put tension or put um, your body weight more through the hamstring, more through the the mid portion of your hamstring rather than your sitting bones to offload that sitting bone. You want to try and avoid stretching. Now, this is a big one because sometimes with a hamstring tendinopathy, it can feel really tight and people just want to stretch that hamstring quite a lot. And what that does is just lead to further compression. So avoiding stretching is a big one. Um, Not so common, but a daily modification that I've noticed is leaning forward, like um, trunk leaning forward quite a lot. I've had a high hamstring tendinopathy in the past. And what I found was when I was treating as a physio and you're doing, say, massage or mobs, you're leaning over the patient and bending when when they're lying on the treatment table. And I found that for long periods of time was starting to irritate my tendon as well. So what are some exercises we can do? Some nice isometric ones out of compression would be, say, a bridge. Most people know what a bridge is. Um, So holding that bridge up in a non-compressed state and holding that for 15, 20, 30 seconds is a really nice start. That could be progress to like a single leg bridge or marching, lifting up the right, left, right, left in that bridge position. And then we move on to concentric or eccentric. And if you have a gym membership or if you have some ankle weights, a nice progression just be lying on your stomach and doing a hamstring curl because this can build up the strength of the hamstring and load up that tendon, but we're not compressing that tendon. You usually compress when you bend forward or when you sit or when you um, flex the hip, bringing your knee closer to your chest, that direction. 
So usually a hamstring curl when you're lying on your stomach takes you totally out of that compression and can be a really effective way to concentrically, eccentrically load up that tendon. Once the tendon settled down significantly, we actually want to start slowly introducing compression so that the tendon can start getting used to that. But we want to make sure that's done gradually. And so some exercises to load that tendon in compression can be things like some slow deadlifts. I like to do some slow like Nordic hamstring drops, but you're not dropping the entire body, you're just flexing at the hip some Swiss ball hamstring curls and just doing that nice and slowly and just integrating more and more compression and seeing how the tendon responds. Moving on to some plyometrics, we can do things like sled pushes or kettlebell swings. When you do your kettlebell swings, you want to kind of move down into a deadlift position and then straight up swinging that kettlebell is a really good way of adding in that eccentric concentric and also a little bit of compression. So this is kind of like the later stages of the process as you just progress into deeper levels of hip flexion. This does allow some trial and error depending on symptoms. But once you get into that fast explosive state and the tendons reacting really well, it's a very good sign that you can start integrating some more running or some faster running. Some running considerations that we might want to consider I said consider quite a lot of times. Um, speed, definitely. So as we're building up your strength and working through your strength phases, you can start running, but make sure it's slow, a conservative pace for you. Make sure we don't overstride. Make sure that that speed is under control. Um, if you're going downhill, make sure that you really take your time. Some slight... Uh, Posture issues could arise if you have an excessive leaning forward at the trunk and you're also overstriding. That can put that hamstring tendon under a lot of compression. So maybe some slight technique changes running up tall could be just a slight fix to take that hamstring out of compression and avoid that unnecessary flare-up. So it's worth considering. Those are some um, running changes that could happen. Differential diagnosis, um, the things I could probably think of are piriformis syndrome, which is kind of like irritation of the sciatic nerve in around the gluteal area, and that can produce some hamstring referral pain. It's usually more of a burning, achy kind of feeling. Definitely one thing we want to rule out is um, bony stress, say on the sacrum or along those sitting bones, definitely something we want to rule out. And also low back pain referral can be quite common into the hamstrings. So if you're not responding well to treatment and that loading response, that's something you might want to get checked out. Moving on to our third, we have gluteal tendinopathy. So this is probably where compression comes in quite a lot and can be a huge factor. Some generic causes and training errors could be just general overload, um, particularly if you're one susceptible to having a hip drop. And it's very common in females having a wider hip and the angle from your hip to your knees is a lot more narrower, so it can lead to the tendon being under more compression while you run, especially for new runners. I do have 
female runners, I look at the way they run and they look like they drop their hips quite a lot and their knees come in, but they don't have any tendon issues. And that could be purely just because that tendon has built up enough capacity to tolerate that compression. But once that tendon undergoes a reaction, it is nice to change some running technique in order to get out of that compression while it settles down. So if you are susceptible to having a hip drop on the opposite side of the the leg that's making contact with the ground, and then you're increasing your load, either volume, speed, frequency, um, it can put you at a increased risk of developing these tendinopathies uh, with some training errors. Daily modifications um, is a big one for this because we want to try and stay out of compression as much as we can. Sometimes sleeping on that affected side can be really irritating and you wake up feeling quite sore. So I like to have people sleep on their back or sleep on their opposite side with um, a nice pillow between their knees and ankles can be a nice help. Telling them to um, avoid crossing their legs if they're at work or if they're sitting on the ground playing with their kids. Low sitting, like if you're in a really low seat, I had a primary school teacher who was sitting in the kids' seats for long periods of time and was starting to develop this compression. And then just poor hip control. If you are getting that hip drop on the opposite side, it doesn't have to necessarily be for running. It can be like getting in and out of a chair. It could be stairs, walking downhill, those sort of things can help address or just bring your awareness to controlling your hips and making sure that that compression isn't being created throughout the day. So that's some daily modifications. Let's talk about exercise progressions. Um, Some isometrics could be just as simple as side lying. So um, lying on the unaffected side, having a pillow between your knees and ankles so you're out of that compression and then just raising the entire straight leg off the ground and just holding that for 20, 30 seconds. You can apply ankle weight. We're strengthening up that tendon. We're strengthening up that load, but we're avoiding compression. If we want to move into some concentrics, eccentrics, I li- I really like crab walks. Really does well for building up strength of the glute muscles, the ITB, the entire leg. And if you're taking wider steps, you're again staying out of that compression. Um, some other nice concentric, eccentric exercises would just be some generic step downs. So stepping. In, down into a squat or like kind of like a single leg squat off a step and then back up to the step but really addressing that pelvic control if you don't have the correct control if the knees darting in or if the hips are dropping it's probably too advanced for you and we need to try things like squats where you're supported with both feet out of compression before we progress to that supply metrics are again we're going into things like hopping if you go from a single leg sit to stand and then up into a hop. If we're hopping up onto a step, if we're doing some lunges, just hopping on the spot, skipping, all that sort of stuff and really working on that hip control kind of combines that plyometric with that whole kinetic chain that we were talking about in last episode. So that's some exercise uh, tips for you to go away with. Some running considerations like with our last example or with our Achilles example, if you have a crossover pattern, so if you're running in a straight line and if you can imagine you're running along a line, we want to make sure that the feet are slightly 
on opposite sides of that line and we want to make sure there's no contact across the midline onto the other side of that line that you're running along. We want to make sure that there's a bit of distance and for females it can be an interesting cue or a helpful cue to make sure they're not rubbing their knees together. We want a little bit of a knee gap and that can avoid hip adduction and avoid pelvic compression. Differential diagnosis uh, can be any sort of lateral hip pain. I think uh, femur neck stress fracture is definitely something that needs to be cleared. Um, just hip bursitis is also another one, which kind of um, has some interwoven interplay with a tendinopathy anyway, and the rehab is quite similar. Also um, referred from the lower back is something that also needs to be cleared. Um, so keep an eye on that. Okay, so that is uh, the end of this episode. We've gone through the training errors, the daily modifications that you can do, the exercise examples and progressions, some running considerations, and some differential diagnosis for all of those conditions. We sort of rushed a little bit on the exercise examples, but there are literally 50 you can do for each step for each condition. So it might take a physio to show you the right exercises that are correct for you based on your level of irritation, based on your level of control. But at least there's some um, handy tips for you to take away here and hopefully you've learned something. That's all for today. I did record um, episode one, two and three of these talking tendons back to back. Um, so it has been a long editing day. I do have at the time of recording about a week until I see Peter Maliaris and we can pick his brain all about tendons. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one. And I'll be bringing out these episodes throughout the week. So um, excited to bring it to you. Let's finish up there. Let's continue learning and let's continue this uh, journey together. I'm excited to bring you the next episode. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.